And as you mark, song number 31, again, we'll use that later in our time of service, our time of worship this morning. And as mentioned already today, how delighted we are to see each and every person able to be with us today, our membership, and also the visitors who've come our way. We truly want our worship service to be that which pleases God. In Colossians 3.17, we still read that whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks unto God and the Father by Him. It is with that in mind that we come to a lesson that's entitled, Close But Yet Far. The text that was read a moment ago, as that was read in our hearing from Luke 18, I hope that you have still that open on your lap, and we'll be looking at some of the features of that in just a moment. But let me begin the lesson with some introductory thoughts, perhaps worded like this. You know, we use the word close in a variety of ways in our common way of life, and yet one of the ways we know so well is when one thing is relatively near to another one. And look at some of these examples. Perhaps if you're baking some particular recipe or, again, something in a chemistry lab, well, you may be close on the chemical composition, but not exactly right, and so the cake or the other item won't turn out right. You see, the things were close, but not exactly right. We all know well there could be a little too much salt or pepper in something. But look at another example. What about an athletic event? You know, a team that loses 58 to 59 still loses, although it was close. One point, though close it was, it still is the fact that wasn't a win. What about a student? You know, most of the time in our classes, we know that there's a grade range for an A and a grade range for a B. What if a student has an 89? That's still a B. Point is, it was close to an A. It was close. Well, why don't we make application of this in a religious sense this morning using that set of texts in Luke 18. Close, but yet far. As we do that, let's first divide our lesson like this. Let's reflect a bit on the passage. What was it that actually happened? And then we'll make several observations in application to each of us. Let's begin like this. This is the record of the rich young ruler. We typically know him by that name, don't we? Here was an individual. Let's piece together a few of the features. First of all, this is recorded three times in the New Testament. One of them is in Matthew 19. One of them is in Mark 10. One of them is in Luke 18. As you and I put the passages together, we learn some things. First of all, this rich young ruler came running to Jesus. Now notice, it's Mark that tells us that. Neither Luke nor Matthew share that with us, but also it's Luke that tells us he was very rich. And so, putting them together, we do learn that this individual who came running to Jesus, he had something on his mind. And as he ran to him, you might notice, he asked a great question. Let's notice again verse number 18. And a certain ruler asked him, saying, Good master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? This person, this ruler who came running to Jesus, and you and I might remember as a ruler, he had a degree of authority over at least some attributes concerning likely the, the, the temple and otherwise. And yet he ran to Jesus and he asked him this question. Good master, he said, 
what must I do? What shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? As you notice some of these initial observations, Jesus did not ignore His question, but He said, Why do you call me good? There's none good but one, and that's God. And as the Lord directed His attention toward what ultimate goodness is, you may notice in verse 20, Thou knowest the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not kill. Do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor thy father and thy mother. Jesus directed this ruler's attention then, at least initially, after identifying what was ultimately good, directed it back to the law which the ruler knew very well, the commandments of God. And so you'll notice on the slide, Jesus even quoted several of the Ten Commandments. Now, you and I may know they weren't in the same order. The Lord quoted them here that Moses originally gave them, but that doesn't remove the power and majesty of them. Honor your father and mother. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't bear false witness. As the Lord quoted these things to this rich young ruler, He quoted and cast a spotlight on the commands of God. Nobody's saved just because he feels like he is. It's necessary to keep the commandments. It's necessary to appreciate them and to be faithful to obeying them. But beyond that, note this with me. The ruler responded, I've kept these from my youth up. Jesus didn't tell him anything he didn't know, at that point at least. I've kept all of these. I've been faithful to them. Now, as a rich young ruler, likely, again, he grew up knowing the Jewish law. He grew up knowing the law of Moses. He'd heard it at least every Sabbath and quite likely far more often. But you'll notice verse 21. All these have I kept from my youth up. But Jesus had another thing to say. As you and I close that slide, and aren't they penetrating words? Jesus, verse 22, describes like this, Now when Jesus heard these things, He said unto him, Yet lackest thou one thing, sell all that thou hast, and distribute unto the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. What the Lord said next was wholly unexpected by him. And you'll notice as Jesus said, you, One thing you still lack. One thing is insufficient. One thing is inadequate. One thing is not quite right for me to answer fully because you ask me what good thing must I do to inherit eternal life. You've kept these commandments, but one thing you lack. And you and I could enter into an in-depth Old Testament study and notice that, of course, there are commandments that highlighted the supremacy and priority of God. But verse 23 closes the chapter like this. When he heard this, he was very sorrowful, for he was very rich. Jesus was able to look into that man's heart, which is something real. I realize you and I are not able to do. We can't read a person's thoughts. We can't appreciate their priority and their prerogative in life. But the Lord could. Jesus knew well that he had been faithful to those commandments as the man had claimed. But he said, one thing you lack, you love your money more than you love God. 
One thing you lack, you estimate in higher value your attachment to these monetary things, your possessions and riches. You've got to invest more in God. You've got to get rid of those things. But in light of that, could we not say this? Let's go back to the title of the lesson. Close, but yet far. With at least those ideas before us, and we'll revisit some of the particulars in just a moment, let's start making some observations. First of all, wouldn't you have to admire the rich young ruler for at least a few things? First, he came to the right place. Now you'll notice here at the top of this lesson, when you and I have questions in life about those things eternal in character, and we have, in fact, matters that trouble us, and we need some answers. There are many places to which one can go. You and I, of course, live in an age when the Internet's available. We can Google anything we want, and answers will come up of one variety, one sort, or another. Or maybe there's an esteemed friend we can go to and ask about this person's opinion on something. Their library is full of books that provide us information. Otherwise, there's what my estimation is. What do I think about it? We'd have to agree the young man came to the right place. Although he was a ruler and had access to the high priest, he didn't go to him. He came to Jesus. He came to where Jesus was. And as he did, that leads me to some of these observations. Mark provides us some information very helpful here. In Mark's account of this, Mark says the Lord had finished teaching in the house and had begun to go out into the way. And so Jesus had begun a journey. Could it be that this ruler ran to him and catch, caught up with him? Perhaps. This man invested what was required to come to the right place. With that in mind, look at this information. Isn't that an encouragement to us? Although we wouldn't say that everything the rich young ruler did would be appropriate for us because, again, he lacked something. But you and I need to always remember to go to the right place. Aren't we taught in John 8, 32, Ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Aren't we taught in Matthew eleven twenty eight, Come to me, the Lord said, all ye that labor, that are, that labor and are heavy laden, now, as the Lord invites all of us to come to Him, may we in wisdom always go to the right place. Sometimes our world offers many other sources, but we've got to be mindful. The right place is always the Master and His inspired Word. But not only that, could we observe another lesson? Now, this one really attaches closely to the first one. Not only did the rich young ruler go to the right place, which is where Jesus was, isn't that an admonishment to you and I that we too would ever seek the wisdom and the teaching of this great one? Let's build that thought perhaps like this. I particularly like Mark's version of this, at least for this point. It says the rich young ruler came running to Jesus... He didn't haphazardly encounter him. It wasn't by accident that he found where Jesus was. He ran to him. May I ask each of us a question? How excited are you about your service to Jesus? Are you running to him? 
Or is it merely a habit, a ritual that occupies some small fraction of our lives? If it's the latter, we're missing something. We'd at least have to admire the ruler. He ran to where the master was. Did you and I proverbially run to the services this morning? Are we going to run to the 5.30 service tonight? Are we going to run to the 7 o'clock service on Wednesday? And the other points to easily to be made. This rich young ruler ran to Jesus. One last point on that one would be this. There are several of the passages that join in a beautiful harmony on this point. What did Peter say in John chapter 6? Remember, there were many on that occasion who heard the Master preach, and it says, they turned and walked no more with Him. Jesus directly turned to them and said, Will you also go away? And Peter forevermore said, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. May I say that if you and I turn from Jesus, wherever else we turn, it will not be the words of eternal life. It will be some extraneous information, something else that might be considered. But if we turn from the Master, we have forsaken the very one that the God of heaven sent to die on the cross, and by Him we can be made free and faithful. What about a third lesson? So, so far we've learned that the ruler came to the right place and he came to the right person. Lesson three, he asked the right question. Let's build some consideration of this point. When this ruler finally had an audience with Jesus, what did he ask him? What was it that was the matter on his heart and mind? Well, you and I realize there are many things that you and I could choose to we might have asked Jesus about the weather. We might have asked Him about, let's say, the other features and attributes of the well-being of those near Him. But this good, this rich young ruler, the only words out of his mouth initially were these, What must I do to inherit eternal life? We again have to admire Him. He came to the right place. He came to the right person. And He asked the right question. Some of these points lead us to note the following. When you and I think about the integrity of the question, the sheer greatness of it, we might in fact word it like this, what is the single greatest question any human being can ask? I'd like to submit one to you. Various places in the Word of God, the kind of question we're now studying is the one that's asked. I recall a scene in Acts 16. There was a Philippian jailer. This man now had not many hours earlier overseen the incarceration of Paul and Silas. These men were put in prison not because they'd committed crimes against the state, not because they had in fact infringed upon the particular rights of anybody else. What they had done was to proclaim the truth in that city of Philippi, and the authorities didn't like it. But what we notice is this. There was an earthquake about midnight that night. It jarred open the prison doors. It loosed the shackles of the prisoners' uh, shackles themselves. Now the jailer, who was asleep at the time, the earthquake woke him up, and he immediately was concerned. 
Because after all, he was responsible for all those prisoners and had any of them escaped, his life would have been taken because he let the prisoner escape. The jailer was ready to take his life. And Paul, perhaps seeing him from a distance or by some means knowing what was about to happen, he sprang in before him and said, Don't do yourself any harm. We're all still here. And at that point, that jailer asked a question. I wonder what he asked. Acts 16.30 tells us, The jailer said, By greatness and by tremendous appreciation, What must I do to be saved? I'd submit to you, from from the eternal standpoint, there is no greater question than that one. Many things we can ask. The ruler had it right. He asked, good master, verse number 18, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And so it is on that slide you may notice in Acts 2.38, maybe yet another example. Here were individuals who were assembled at Pentecost. As they were assembled, they were participating in the worship attached to the old law on that day, commanded in the Old Testament. And yet Peter stood up that day, the other eleven with him, and began to preach. About 3,000 of them recognized that what was asserted and what was affirmed, they were guilty. And they said something, what shall we do? Do for what? Do to be forgiven of this atrocity we did in committing murder and sending Jesus to death a few weeks ago. They asked the same question. Today, you and I, we would be wise to ask it. What must I do to be saved? What must I do to inherit eternal life? Aren't you eternally thankful we've got the answer to that question? Wouldn't it be miserable to proceed through life and ask that question and never be assured of the answer? God's been more loving to us than that. As you and I close this third point, let's look at the fourth one. So far, one more time, appreciate the ruler was close. He came to the right place. He came to the right person. He asked the right question. But we aren't done. He heard the right answer. What was it Jesus again said to this eager and enthusiastic rich young ruler? Well, first, he identified that ultimate good rests with God and comes from Him. But then, did you notice verse 20? You know the commandments. This ruler needed to be directed back first and foremost to the ascendancy of the Word of God. It does not rest with what you think. It doesn't rest with what you maybe have been taught. What does that say? What are the commandments? Now, the ruler knew what they were. He said, I've kept all of them. But let's make the application today. You could put your name in the box. Randy, what must I do to be saved? And so as you and I look for answer, first it starts with the commands of God. In Hebrews chapter 5, verses 8 and 9, this penetrating statement is made. In light of that which Jesus did, it says, Though He were a son, yet learned He obedience by the things which He suffered. Notice, the Lord even learned obedience. But then it goes on to say, He's the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey Him. 
It is required of you and I too that we approach the commandments. We keep them. Now, I admit, we live under a different law than, than that ruler did. He lived under the law of Moses. He lived under the Old Testament law. That was nailed to the cross, according to Colossians 2. But we live under the law of Christ. But the principle is still there. We must use His commandments to order our life, to obey Him in light of that gospel, and to live day by day in the way that He would find pleasing. In 1 John 5 verse 3 it says, This is the love of God, that we keep His commandments. What's that? If you and I love God, that will be manifested and shown in the degree to which we do what He told us, to keep His commandments. And it says they're not grievous. May you and I never believe then, as some in our modern culture want to tell us, that God's commands are too restrictive, they're too narrow-minded. Well, that's how we show we love Him if we do what He tells us. This year, rich young ruler ran to Jesus and the Lord said, you've got to keep the commandments. But now with that, may we close that slide like this. As you and I think about the law of God beneath which we serve today, the law of Christ, oh, how sweet it is to appreciate the love and the mercy and the magnificence to be found in that law. But I know you're waiting for the fifth point. Close he was. He came to the right place. He came to the right person. He asked the right question and he heard the right answer. But point five is so sorrowful. He was close but so far. Close doesn't count in this. You know, you and I noticed that at the outset of the lesson, didn't we? And maybe you and I have played games like horseshoes, I'll grant you. You know, in horseshoes, there is something to be said for being close to the stake. But like we learned in basketball, if you score 58 and the opponent scores 59, though you were close, you lost. This man was so close, but yet so far. This last point begins like this. You'll notice at the top in rehearsal of the closeness that was exemplified in the life of this man. He came running to Jesus with enthusiasm and eagerness and energy. And as he did, he asked the right question. And he was even given from the lips of the Master himself the right answer. But let's look at what he did with it. You'll notice that Jesus had to say to him, you like one more thing. Now remember, in the Old Testament, it had already taught, you've got to love God supremely. Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 through 6. And Jesus, as He read the heart of this man, the man didn't fulfill that. He loved his money more than God. He loved his riches more than God. And so Jesus said, you've got one more thing. Sell what you got. Distribute it to those that are poor and come follow me. At that point, how did the rich young ruler respond? Was he still as eager? Can you almost picture it on the imagination of your mind? He ran to Jesus with such enthusiasm and after hearing this, it says he went away sorrowful. His countenance had fallen. He was much less discouraged or much more discouraged Maybe these points are fair to note. He was close, 
but he was still lost. Are you close, but still lost? May we be honest with ourselves. Am I close? Are you close? Maybe you've heard the gospel. Maybe you've often given reflective thought to it. Maybe you've come to the right place, even to the right person. Maybe you've asked the right question. Maybe you've even heard the right answer, but to this point you haven't acted upon it. I would say you're close, but you're still lost. Close, but yet so far. Wouldn't it be an eternal tragedy to arrive at the day of judgment having been close and knowing it was only a few steps away and yet you made the wrong decision? And yet that's the very thing that can happen. In Mark chapter 12, verse 34, Jesus made this statement to another lawyer. He said, Thou art not far from the kingdom of God. He was close. You know, I hope that the ruler had a change of heart. This closes our record where he's never mentioned again. But you know, I hope the next day or perhaps a week later, he reflected on what Jesus said and then took action. I hope he did. We don't know. The decision, you see, rests with you and me today. May we not be close, but yet so far. May we be close and altogether involved in that salvation. As you and I close that slide, the frightful thought of being close, but yet so far, it is a challenging thing, and it brings us to a point of conclusion. I can't really think of much else that would be worse thought than this one. You know, I mentioned the athletic events earlier. You know, if one team loses by 40 points to the other, well, that's an embarrassing loss, but I suspect you probably can take that easier than losing by one point in overtime because you were so close. May you and I today not just be close, but to be all together what the Lord would have us to be. You know, the plan of salvation is this. We're commanded that we must believe Jesus with all of our heart to be the Son of God. John 8, verse 24. We're commanded we must repent of our sins. That is an optional, according to Acts 17, verses 30 and 31. We're told we must confess His name, Jesus as that is, as the Son of God. Romans 10, verses 9 and 10. And we're commanded to be baptized for the remission of our sins. As we do that, we then are brought into the kingdom by the very power of the blood of Christ. He adds us to the church. And we are then able to proceed through a life of faithful service to Him. But you'll notice, a person might believe, might even repent, might even confess. But until you're baptized, you're still close, but yet so far. But as you complete those steps that bring one into the kingdom, as taught in the New Testament... We still appreciate we could still choose to forfeit that and fall back into being close, but not yet saved. We can forfeit our salvation, and maybe that's descriptive of someone in this audience today as well. Maybe you once were faithful, you once knew the greatness of the kingdom of God, and were an eager servant within it. But maybe, as of this very day, you really can't say that anymore you realize you're still just close then. You've fallen back into close, but not within the realms of that safety. No wonder in 2 Peter 2, verses 18 to 22, that's described. And 
how frightful it is. Today, if there's anyone in the audience, and we could be of help to you in your obedience to the gospel, we want you to know it's the Lord's invitation, and we're just happy to be agents to help you. If we can do that, this song of encouragement has been selected, whether it be one who would wish to become a Christian or the rededication that would be needful in your life. We'd be happy to assist in either way. And we'd be happy to do that now while together we stand and while we sing.